Today's reading is from 1 Peter 1, um, verses 10 through 16. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Brooks, lead pastor here, bringing you the word this morning. Uh, we're about three or four weeks into our new series on the epistle that Peter wrote to the exiles that were dispersed all over the particular region that, uh, that Peter was from. And the theme of this, the theme of this series, as is, as is titled, Where is Your Hope? Where is Your Hope? What Peter wants these readers, including us, 2,000 some odd years later, to understand is that regardless of, of the turbulent times that you live in, the decay of the culture that you see around you, regardless of your own personal failures or everything that's crumbling around you, or regardless of how, things, how well things are going, what Peter wants all of us to know is that our hope is, is rooted in the person and work and accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Everything else, everything else is fading. That will never fade. That will never fade. This morning's text that we're going to look at uh, speaks to the issue of holiness, the call to be holy, First uh, Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, Jesus... You also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That italicized and in bold and underlined part there is, is a direct quotation uh, from Leviticus. God says, I'm holy, and I've called Israel, you're my people, and I've called you to be holy. I'm holy, so you be holy. Now, here's where I want to start. What's your gut level reaction What's your gut level reaction to that command? It's hard. Did I hear impossible? Yeah, impossible. What else? Hard, impossible. Possible. Well, you're just saying that because you know that's where we're going. I'm just kidding. And some of you, some of you are not quick to verbalize what you're thinking because some of you are thinking, don't desire it. I mean, if you, some of you might, you might not understand what it is. It's, so it's, let's, let's start with a baseline definition of holiness before we start aspiring to it or saying, I don't want any part of it. Holiness, it just simply means to be set apart. That, the word holy, it means to be set apart, to be set apart. So this is a clicker. It advances the slides. When, when it is employed in the service of God, and set apart for the purpose of glorifying God, it becomes holy. By itself, it's just a piece of technology. But once it's t- 
taken, once it's set apart and purposed, purposed to bring God glory, it is holy. That's what the word means. It means to be set apart and dedicated to be God. In a practical sense, not speaking of technology, but speaking of human beings, it means to become or becoming someone who actually wants to and is able to obey God. So practically speaking, it's, it's the process being made holy is the process by which you and I become the kind of people who actually, A, desire, and B, are able to, to do the will of God. And in case any of you are, are foggy on what that means, summary form, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. Now, here's a question. You have to answer this moving forward. You have to think about this. Is that something you want? Do you want to be able and willing to do what God desires you to do? Because that's what it means to be holy. It's a yes, no question. Now, honestly, some of you, maybe not many, but some of you are like, I would rather have a sharp stick in my eye. That sounds awful. That sounds awful. And the reason it sounds awful is because you've lived your life for so long thinking that if you could get everything that you want in life, then you could be happy. But if you submitted your lives to God, that sounds terrible. Now, before I became a believer, that's exactly what I thought. I actually believe that the Bible, before I even cracked it, probably at least contained God's revelation. I wasn't sure on what it said, but I had no desire to pick it up and read it as a college freshman because I was pretty sure I was going to find something in there that told me you should stop doing some of the things you really enjoy doing. Some of you are like, oh, I have no idea what you mean. Some of you are like, preach it, brother. <laughs> so that, that's, that's not uncommon. There's another subset of people in here that that is something that appeals to you. You have been redeemed. You've been set apart. You've been, this is interesting. The author of Hebrews says in, in chapter 10, verse 14, for by one single offering, he has perfected all of those who are being sanctified or being made holy. So in one sense, we are declared holy. We've been declared perfect by what Christ has done, yet we're in the process of being made perfect. So it's a process. It's a declaration. You're ho- if you're in Christ, you are positionally holy. God looks at you, sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ and says, there's someone who's set apart. They're holy. They are sanctified. And yet, and yet you and I look in the mirror And we still get angry. We still display impatience. We, we still are, we still give in to the lusts and the, and the flesh. We, this is a pattern and we get frustrated. I did it again, failed again. So some of you, you, that is something you aspire to, but you don't, you're not sure that you really believe it's possible based on your, your past or very recent failures. You're like, I, It just, I don't even know. I'm just, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. You remember that from James? That's how you view yourself. 
And Christ says, no, 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 no. I've, I'm, I've set you apart and declared you to be holy and I want you to become what I've declared you to be. It is possible. And there are others of you here that although you haven't all figured it out, you're like, no, I want that. I want that and I'm, I'm ready to go. So regardless of where you're at, what we're going to look at this morning in the text is three things. It all is contingent upon where you place your hope. This whole series, where is your hope? It is all contingent on where you and I place our hope. And we're going to look at how hope produces practically day-to-day in the, in the interactions that we have with one another and with the Lord, how it practically produces holiness. In other words, how it, how, where we place our hope causes us to become the kind of people who want to and are able to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what it means. Three things. Active hope, that's something that to do. Active hope, we're going to see that in the text. Secondly, passive hope. Passive hope, something to avoid. This is what we typically do naturally without thinking. That's where our hopes generally are set. And the third thing we're going to take a look at is the fruit of hope, the fruit of hope, which is produced in us by the Holy Spirit, and that's something to enjoy. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we'll get started. Father, we come to you in humble adoration and complete dependence. Jesus, you told your disciples on the night that you were betrayed that you're the vine and we're the branches and that apart from you, we can do nothing, including understand your word, including walk in holiness, just anything, Lord, taking the next breath we can't do without you. So Lord, we are calling on you and asking you to use the preaching of your word, Peter's letter, uh, to bring us to a place where our hope is set fully on you, that we might be made in a practical sense more able and more willing to love as you have loved. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get to the text here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, the first thing we have to ask is, what is therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? You have to go back. And if you haven't been with us, and this is your first Sunday and you're just, you're just visiting, um, it's important for you to go back and, and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1, all the way through verse 12. What, what Peter, is, the therefore is the fact that by God's mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope that cannot spoil, that cannot fade, that is absolutely imperishable, and it is kept and guarded in heaven by God through faith for us for us. And, and verses 10 through 12 that we didn't get to last week speaks to the fact that the prophets had been t- speaking about this for, for generations, longing to actually see the fulfillment. So he's saying, therefore, in light of this great hope that you have, in light of this gospel, which Christ purchased for you through his atonement, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, in light of that, Prepare your minds for action. Now, that's not, that's not a, it's not a good translation. Here's why. Because if you just looked at the word for word translation, 
people in our generation would just go, what? It literally translated, it says, girding up the loins of your mind. How many of you are like, makes perfect sense? Okay, it made perfect sense to Peter's generation because when a soldier would go to war or when someone would would engage in physical activity, they'd have to gird up their loins. It means that they'd have to take their robe and they'd have to pull it up, they'd have to wrap it around, they'd have to tie it so they can run or so they can fight or so they can wield a sword. Because if you're running along and you're fighting in a robe, you, you tend to trip up over it. So you gird up your loins. And now we're ready to rumble. Now, if you're a Greek wrestler, to rumble, you just stripped everything off and you wrestled naked. Fortunately, we have spandex now, so we don't have to endure that and watch that if we go to Carver Hawkeye and watch a wrestler wrestler. But that's the point. You've got to be unhindered mentally. You've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You have to prepare your mind for action. Christianity is an intellectually active endeavor. You have to think. You have to think. You have to engage your minds. Preparing your minds for action. That is an active, ongoing, imperative verb. It's a command. You've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to constantly prepare yourself to think, engage, use your head. Use your head. Prepare your minds for action. Second part of that sentence is, and being sober-minded. This is ongoingly be clear thinking. There was lots of non-sober-minded thinking last night. Somewhere in the Iowa City vicinity. Anytime there's a late football game, people tailgate all day long and they drink all day long. And then there's a delay because of the lightning, which is more opportunity to drink all night long. So you have unclear thinking. Men grow beer muscles that they didn't have before the night began and fights break out. People say things that they, when they're sober, they know they not, they shouldn't say because it's just not civilized and it will cause conflict. But when they're not sober minded, they do say, and their thinking is impeded. So he's not necessarily talking about abstaining from alcohol so you can be sober, literally that too, but don't let anything cloud your judgment. Don't let anything cloud your judgment. So that's preparatory work. Prepare your mind for action. Don't let anything cloud your mental space, your judgment. And now we're ready for the active verb that that we must do, that we might not be doing. And that is set your hope fully. Set your hope fully fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a question of, if you go back to the last couple messages, where is your hope? You remember the the homework assignment that I gave last week? Where do you basically, where do you find you, what what do you find yourself generally hoping in? This is a question of what What makes you you? What is the purpose of your life? 
What are you hoping that you will receive that will give your life meaning? Now, where is that? For most of you, for most human beings, the answer to that question is not the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, no. No, no. You may be a Christian, but that's generally not where our default hope lies. Our default hopes go towards the things we think we have to have which will make us happy. And by the way, these things are not inherently sinful. Success, a great family, a great job, health, wealth, prosperity. Those things are in and of themselves fine. Fine. Respect, admiration, whatever, whatever. So we want those things. We want those things. And the reason, the reason Peter says set your hope fully is because we're all about partially putting a little bit of hope in Jesus, but a whole lot of hope everywhere else. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And I know someday when I die, I'll be with Jesus and it will be glorious. But in the meantime, I never think about it and I don't desire it. What I really want is a decent 401k and a trip to Bahamas. And I just want a a beautiful girlfriend or I want my children to obey and respect me. You get the idea? By the way, those, those those wants are not necessarily bad. However... If that's where your hope is, and your hope is not fully set, not, not, oh yeah, I'm hoping it a little bit in Jesus, but mostly the meaning of my life is somewhere else, it will not lead to you becoming the kind of person who is able and desires to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. It's, it is a mental exercise to set your hope fully. Now, what does that practically mean? I want you to turn your Bibles. It won't be on the uh, won't be on the PowerPoint. Turn your Bibles to John chapter fifteen. Setting your hope equals abiding. It's the same thing. So Jesus said in John chapter fifteen, "I'm the vine; you're the branches." If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be given unto you that you might prove yourselves to be fruitful and show yourself to be my disciples. The word abide, it means remain. So he's, he's the vine, we're the branches. We are grafted into this vine. He says, now stay there. Draw sap from me. Draw your nutrients from me. And, and in John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, we'll just stop right there. So setting your hope equals abiding. Now, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5 where he says, set your mind, set your mind not on the flesh, that is what you, your, your body your, your habituated habits typ- typically long for. Don't set your mind there, but set them on the things of the Spirit. That, that's another equivalent phrase of abiding or setting your hope fully. Also, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul says, set, set your minds not on things below, not on temporal things, but on things above. Do you see the theme? This is where is your mind set? 
What are you hoping for? These are the same things. It's the same. Where your mind is set, what you, what you set your mind on is the same thing as where you're setting your hope on. That, that's what we're talking about here. Where is your hope set? Now, what are the things that you can do that you can do to set your hope fully? They require doing something. You remember the sermon uh, before we started First Peter on, on the, the difference between trying and training? Remember that? Okay, some of you were here, some of you weren't. Here, here's an eminently frustrating command. Let's say you struggle... You struggle with uh, you struggle with being um, self-controlled. You overeat. You're given to various addictions, uh, alcoholism, lust, whatever. Okay, here's an unhelpful command. Ready? Just stop. Just just try harder to be self-controlled. You already know you're not self-controlled. Me telling you to be something you're not doesn't help you. So what does help is to say no, no, no. Here. Set your hope fully on the grace to be real. In other words, set your mind, set your mind in a place, which if you do that, your mind will begin to be transformed and you will become a different person who is self-controlled. This is training, not trying, training. The training is not trying hard to be self-controlled. The training is where you set your mind, where you set your hope. What, What practices? What are the practices? Reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the scriptures, praying, actively engaging Christ in prayer for others, for yourself, thanking him for who he is, praying unceasingly at all times, being in community with other believers as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another, mutually encouraging one another to Remind us where our hope is. Serving those in the body of Christ. Serving those outside of the body of Christ so that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus. Sharing the hope that we have in Christ with others. Those are active things that we start doing that maybe we're not doing. That is, those are things we do. Those are things we do to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed in us. Now, those are, are things to add that you might not be doing. Now, here's, here's something, that, things that you can subtract from your life, things to restrain from, things to restrain from, which also help to set our minds on the hope that is to be revealed. So fasting, fasting is going without, going without so that we might focus on, you can fast from food, what do, they, what do they call the first meal in the morning? Breakfast. You've broken a fast. You haven't eaten all night. Some of you are like, well, that's not true. I got up in the middle of the night and I raided the fridge and I ate a piece of cake. Great. Wonderful. You broke your fast at two in the morning. It's just a, it's a period of going without, going out without Netflix, going without uh, the news, going without your iPhone, going without food, so that your mind, so that your mind can be where it should be. And you break that fast and you come back to it eventually. Uh, the Sabbath, what do we call this Sabbath? What does that mean? The Sabbath, it means rest. Here's a crazy idea. God instituted one day in seven so you could not collapse. So cease from working. Stop. Take a break. 
take a nap and allow that time, allow that time to refresh your body, your soul, and your mind. You get the idea? There's things that you can stop doing. There's things that you can start doing. Now, this is important. Why should we do these practices? It's a trick question. Let me tell you an answer which is not technically the right answer, but you're going to think, wait a minute, I thought that's what this sermon was about. The reason you don't, you, you don't do these so these, you can become holy. You're like, well, now I'm just totally confused. No. Why do I pray? I pray so I can experience the presence and the person and the power of Jesus. Why do I read the Word? I read the Word so I can experience the presence, the person, and the power of Jesus. Why do I come together with other believers so I can experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus? Why do I serve people so I can experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus? Why would I share my faith with anyone so I can experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus? Why would I take one day in seven and stop working so I could... Do you sense a pattern beginning to form? (laughs) One more time. So that we can experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus. You, you, You see the point? Here's the thing. If you look at those practices as a checklist of things to do, which will make you an awesome Christian, you will slip into legalism, and at best you will become obnoxious. At worst, you'll become utterly discouraged because you still can't figure it out. and You don't feel holy enough. The reason that Jesus gave us these things is so that we could abide in him and experience his person, his presence, and his power. It's not in my notes, and I wasn't going to mention it, but I am going to mention it. I'm rereading a book I read probably 20 years ago. It's by a, it's actually not a book. It's a collection of this old dude's letters. Brother Lawrence, Google it. Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, 16th century monk. He's a cook, not a scholar. And his whole philosophy in life is everything I do, everything I do, I try to consciously practice the presence of being with Jesus at all times. It's almost like he read John 15 and thought, I should probably do that. That's exactly what he's doing. It's an eminently practical little teeny little booklet. But that's the idea. Why do we read the Bible? To to practice the being in this presence. It's not so I got to get through the Bible in a year. By the way, that's a great thing to get through the Bible in a year. But to what end? to be in the presence, the power, the person of Jesus, to experience that. Do you see how that works? That's what we're talking about here. That's what it means to set our hope. So that's, that's what we actively do. And it's important you know uh, some practical steps. And by the way, so it works. Don't, 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 don't move on too quickly. Don't move on too quickly. Over the next five years, we're going to focus on how to train together to practice. So relax. We're going to keep coming back to these these values or these practices and learn how to do them together to what end that we might experience the person, the presence and the power of Jesus. I was talking to my wife a couple weeks ago and she was commenting on one of my sermons. She said, oh, it's okay. It's a little long. 
She says, you have a tendency to beat a horse dead. Fact. <laughs> Fact. You've probably already moved on. We've already got the point. The, the presence, the power, the person of Jesus. But I'm going to keep repeating it all morning long. And then the sermon's going to be 10 to 20 minutes longer because I won't leave it alone. So I'm going to leave it alone. We're going to move on. Active hope. That's something to do. Here's something not to do. Stop. Stop. This is a passive hope. As obedient children, because you are now perfect in Christ, because you are now one of his children by, by, by virtue of what God has done for you, not because of what you have done for God, by virtue of that, as obedient children, do not, do not be conformed. This is a passive hope. This is not something you do. This is something that is done to you. He says, do not be conformed to what? To what? To the passions of your former ignorance. Here's, here's what Peter is. Peter's not saying this. Don't be dumb like you used to be. He's not talking about intelligence. Ignorance is not a lack of intelligence. It's a lack of knowledge. It means there was a time in your life before you understood something, before you were aware of something. And during that time, you... You had passions. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to understand what it is he's talking about here. Ephesians chapter 2. This is who all of us were before Jesus. Though you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So he's talking about before God in his mercy caused us to be born again into this living hope. We were all dead in sin. And what governed your life before that time? Whatever your, whatever your body wanted to do. So I was 20 or so when I became a Christian, and I was habituated by 20 years of perpetual habits of giving into whatever I wanted. What was my will for my life? So I just would do that. So that's what human beings do. We are conformed. We're squeezed. We're molded. We're shaped by our passions. We're shaped by our desires. And those passions and those desires are shaped or directed by our flesh, our fleshly desires. That doesn't necessarily always mean sexual immorality, but it could. It doesn't always mean drunkenness, but it could. It could also mean being very, very disciplined in self-control so you can climb the ladder of success to become the awesome person you envision yourself to be without Jesus. So that's what he means. Now, when, when we, we, we are, are conformed by those passions, we, we simultaneously are not able... We're not able, nor we do we desire to actually love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. This is why, this is why we fail. How many of you have asked your kids? You told them clearly, clearly, don't do this. And then 30 seconds later, they're doing this. Anybody ever notice that phenomenon? And, you, and you, then you ask, why did you do that? And what do they, what do they say? I don't know. Bill Cosby has a marvelous comedy routine on that from the early 80s. I don't know. I don't know. Well, let me tell you, and now you'll know. No, it's not brain damage. That's what Bill Cosby's routine is about. It is not brain damage, but it is a product of the fall. 
Why do you lose your temper over and over again when you tell yourself you're not going to lose your temper? Why? I'll tell you why. This is why I lose it. Because I don't set my hope fully on the grace to be revealed to me, but I set my hope partially on that, but mostly on the fact that I want to be admired and respected. And then when my wife or someone else points out that I'm wrong or points out that I have failed... She is getting in between me and my hope. And because I do not have my hope set on the fully the grace to be revealed, but I have my hope mostly set on me being awesome, and someone has pointed out that I'm not awesome, I have to fight to make them understand how awesome I am. (laughs) So the answer to the question is not, I don't know. The answer to the question is, I don't have my hope set fully on the grace to be revealed in me, but mostly on the fact that I want to be admired. Make sense? Why do you give in to worry over and over and you tell yourself that you ought not to, but you do anyway? Why? The wrong answer is, I don't know. The right answer is, is because I have not set my hope fully on the grace to be revealed in me. Yes, I know that Jesus loves me. And yes, I know that nothing can be taken away from me that is worth losing. However, functionally, my hope is set on this life and everything that I can acquire in it. And I, I am with white knuckles holding on to the things that I have and I am striving to, to attain the things that I don't have because I I don't believe that I can't be happy unless I have those things. And so I worry about the things that I don't have and I worry about the things that, I, that I'm going to lose. Does that make sense? It's all a matter of where our hope is set. It's all a matter of where our hope is set. Or, or why haven't I started doing X, Y, and Z? How many of you have resolved a billion kajillion times, preacher hyperbole, I don't even know what those were, what billion I know, nine zeros after the one, but kajillion, I don't know. How many of you have resolved over and over again because you've heard a sermon, you've read the word, you know what, today is the day I'm going to start loving my neighbor. I'm going to start being generous. I'm going to start being self-controlled. I'm going to start doing all those things which I normally don't do only by 1 p.m. on Sunday to have totally forgotten that that's even a thing. Or maybe you make it to Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or you make it to a couple weeks and then you, it just peters out. Why? Because you're, tr- you're, you're trying to become something you're currently not and you're skipping the step of setting your hope fully on the grace to be revealed in you. And so what happens is we go back to our default. We, 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 we go back to our default set of ways. We go back to our default hopes. That's why you got to gird up the loins of your mind. That's why you got to be sober-minded in your thinking. That's why you have to actively set your hope on these things because your passive default mechanism is to go back to whatever your flesh told you would make you happy 20 years ago or Two minutes ago. That's how it works. That's how it works. Our default hope settings. Ephesians 2. The result of those default settings. Galatians 5. Turn real quick there. I just want to spend a brief moment here. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
desires the spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What's Paul saying? Here's the deal. Yes, you love Jesus. Yes, you have the spirit. But you have to realize that the spirit is leading you a particular way. He wants to set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you. But your flesh is like, not so fast, Brooks. Not so fast. You want to be successful. You want to be the center of attention. That's where the real hope is, is if you could, you can be who you want to be divorced from whatever God wants you to be. Follow your stomach, follow your sexual desires, wherever they might lead you, you be the best you, you can be apart from Jesus. That's what your flesh says. The flesh is like, I, yeah, Jesus is fine. Just put your hope in him so you can go to heaven when you die. But let me run the show. You see how that works? And here's what Paul says. When we're, your flesh is saying, go here, here, Brooks, and, you, and your, 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 or the Spirit's saying, go here, Brooks, follow Jesus, and the flesh is like, no, 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 I got this. And there's a, there's a war going on within you. You experience this, yes? There's a battle raging within you. How do you win the battle? It's all between the ears. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, but your part, my part, is to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed. Okay, the fruit, and I chose that word intentionally. A, because Jesus does, because Paul does, and it conveys something which is really, really important. You and I don't make fruit. It is produced in and through us by a power not our own. This is the work of God. It is the work of God to make Brooks a more loving, patient husband. It is the work of God to make Brooks a less volatile, angry preacher (laughs) and person. That's the work of God. It is the work of Brooks to set his hope fully on the grace to be revealed. Do you understand the difference? I cannot make myself to be a loving person. I cannot create desire in my heart that doesn't exist. I cannot, in, 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 uh, I cannot infuse myself with ability that I, I don't yet have, but I can set my hope somewhere. Those are all things I can do. The Holy Spirit, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy. Paul says in, in, in Philippians that Christ who began a good work in you is faithful and he will bring it to completion. He started it. He will sustain it. He will finish it. In the meantime, Paul says in Philippians, work out your own salvation. Not save yourself. You can't save yourself. But now that you have been saved, you can work it out by setting your hope fully on the grace to be revealed in you and you will be made holy. God will produce fruit in us. He will bring about righteousness where it did not previously exist. I almost don't want to jinx it. I'm, I'm tempted to tell you about how I'm experiencing that, but then it's like, oh, if I do that, I'll just all screw up. Well, that's superstitious, actually, so I'm going to tell you. I'm actually experiencing a time of revival for me personally in my life and in my marriage. 
Some of you are like, well, that's because you went on sabbatical. I got sabbat- back from sabbatical a long time ago. I've been working for quite some time. Maybe you've forgotten, but I've been here. <laughs> and I'm still dealing with all the garbage that I normally deal with. But the difference is I'm beginning to express the, ex- experience the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus moment by moment as I live my life. Why? Because I'm starting to do the same old spiritual disciplines that I've always done for a different reason. And all of a sudden, there's, there's more patience. There's, there's more peace. There's, there's moments where all of a sudden my hope is set somewhere else, and now I'm impatient, and now I'm, in, now I'm angry, and now I'm self-defensive, and now I'm full of pride. But do you, do you see how that works? It's possible. And it's not, it's not self-effort. It's the power of God working in and through you as you abide and experience person, the presence, and the power of Jesus. And that comes when you set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed. Three practical considerations. Homework. More homework. Where is your hope usually set? Where is that hope usually set? Same question as last week. Secondly, what practices can you begin that will help you reset your hope? What do, you, what do you need to add to your life? And also, maybe what do you need to subtract from your life? There are things to add, things to stop. Again, what's the purpose of doing those things? To experience the person, the presence, and the power of Christ. Not to, oh, I do this so I can be a holy person. Reading your Bible doesn't make you holy necessarily. And then share those with someone this week. Share them with a spouse. Share them with a roommate. Share them with someone else. As we close this morning in prayer, I recognize that the starting place for some of you is not to begin the spiritual practices, but to receive Christ as your Savior. You cannot save yourself. God does not accept you on the basis of your works or your performance. He does not accept us based on our, our penance or, or, or simply, I'm not going to be this way anymore. I'm going to be this way. He accepts us on the basis of what Christ has already done for us by his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. If it is your desire to be pardoned, to be forgiven, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be made new, then cry out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I desire a relationship with you. I want to experience your presence, your power. I want to experience your person. I want to be yours, and he will make you his. For the rest of us, it's a matter of setting our hope. Some of you, you may, you may feel like you don't have hope right now. You've lost that hope through different trials, tribulations, circumstances. I would invite you to come forward. There'll be elders up here, other people to here to pray for you pray over you. Um, if you're like, ah, I'm not comfortable sharing my prayer request with you up front or anybody else up front, there's prayer cards in the, in the seat pocket in front of you. Let us know how we can pray for you so that the Holy Spirit will give you the hope that you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for being a God of hope. Thank you that there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to merit your salvation but simply just to recognize our great need of you. Lord, it is, our, it is my default setting to go back to the things that I've always hoped for, which would make my life meaningful. And Lord, they never deliver. 
So, Father, I pray that you would help us to set our hearts, set our minds fully on you, Jesus. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to each and every person here in a tangible, meaningful way. They would experience your grace. They would experience your mercy. They would experience your love. And, Lord, experiencing all of those things, they would experience you. And that we as a church would experience you to the end that you would be exalted, you would be glorified, and that all men and women and children would be drawn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.